Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... Bruce Hornsby. Bruce, this is... I can't tell you how much of a honor... This is, I, I, John and I were prepping for this yesterday and we just had a moment where we sort of looked at each other and we were like, can you believe this is where our life is? Is that Bruce Hornsby is going to give us these six hours, two installments of six hours to just really. <laughs> the fact that you agreed to six and a half hours is honorable. It, it is. I, I thought it was sort of a, until tomorrow morning, uh, sort of a marathon, uh, a te- test of endur- endur- endurance test. So I, that's what I thought. So I'm happy to know that it's it's only six hours. Yeah, that's really what it is. <laughs> we've spelunked. Yeah, your your family tree. We've really dug deep on, and we're really excited about. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's things that nobody needs to know. I do. I do have to say though, Dave, to what you were saying earlier, the couple times that, like this morning, just like an hour ago, my wife, when I was walking out of the house. My wife was like, who, who are you interviewing today? And I took a really? pause and I was like, I'm going to take in everything that I just, every letter that I'm about to say, it's Bruce Hornsby. Oh, my God. And she was like, oh, that's right. Whatever. Dude, Bruce, I mean, we're going to get to this, but Bruce. Okay. This we'll is, get to whatever you'd like. That's oh, my your gosh. world. Okay. I cannot overstate how much I've been looking forward to this. You, you're one of my heroes. One of our goals, Bruce, is that you leave and today you think... I've felt good, and then I've felt this good because these guys just <laughs> are that obsessed and love me so much. I, I I've never done this with this podcast. Maybe once or twice. Maybe once or twice. But I literally just texted two of my studio musician piano friends here in Nashville and said, "Just so you know what I'm doing right now, I'm about to talk to Bruce Hornsby." And both <laughs> of them just sent me a lot of expletives and then a lot of uh, jealous emojis. And that was the well. It's so funny you bring that up because for many years when I would go to Nashville, I'd run into local session guys, you know, great players, they would look at me and they would, they would with a smile say, you know, screw you, man, because <laughs> I, I, right now, this was, this lasted for a few years after we started having our early big hits. Uh, they would, they, they got, the guys would say, well, every time I walk in, I start playing something and they say, well, can you give me more of a Bruce Horns <laughs> yeah! thing? And, and, and so, so they they did they, they just blamed me. Of course they would. If I were them, I would I would abhor you, Bruce Hornsby. I would be so so, so tired of his. <laughs> no, no. And of course it of course it's a compliment, but it's just funny, in in the sense that they were laughingly deriding me <laughs> yes, for, yes. For, for, for 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 their new lot in yes. life. Yeah. Well, I've had many I've had many producers say to me over the talk back. Like, stop trying to do, quote, stop trying to do the Bruce Hornsby thing. <laughs> See, it's, <laughs> it's so just funny. Not, I, it's not going to happen. I'm a little unaware sort of what that is because I feel like I really developed more of a new, unique quality a little after those early records. Uh, but that's a different mm. story. It's more about theoretical ideas and sort of finding uh, interesting yeah. ways of voicing the standard triadic chords right. that right. we that, that yeah. people play in popular music. And then in my later years, going completely away and pissing everybody off by playing chords that are not <laughs> actually using <laughs> the black notes, you know, as opposed to yeah, yeah, a yeah. white note life, which I 
or early on was pretty much doing that doing which stuff. i assume is going to be the name of your autobiography uh living the white note <laughs> well or not yeah um, at this point not tr- yeah, I, but my standard line now is i'm not trying i'm trying to not live a white, white life because life, yeah. you know after a while after many years of doing this you go if you're at all restless uh creatively or artistically yeah. you go okay you know i've really i i've really done this enough and, and when i was in college uh, uh, in Boston, Boston Public Library uh, was amazing. You could go and check out records like you check out books. And so they had an amazing collection of modern classical music. So I just just ingested all of that I could at the time. Charles Ives, I guess Eric Satie and Maurice Ravel, they're 20th yeah. century composers, but it's more tonal. So, but but I got yeah. deeply into that, and it was only later that I went completely to the dark side when I signed at, with Columbia Records. Okay, I was 18 years at RCA Records, went through about seven or eight presidents until Clive Davis came in, and he heard my latest record, which was a really crazy sort of electronica blues record called Big Swing Face, and he said, you know what, this guy no longer. So after 18 <laughs> years, he dropped me when he first came. Probably one of his first acts, his initial acts as the new president there Jeez. and at BMG. And so I went instantly over to Sony because the, the man there, Donnie Einer, always told me, hey, when are you going to come with a real record company, kid? You record know? company. So, so I went with them. And so the great thing about being at Columbia Records is they have the catalog of doom, the yeah. catalog of life. And so I... And you, if you're if you're a signed artist there, you can order off their catalog for free as much as you want. Oh so I, my god! I ordered 176 oh. CDs, mostly <laughs> dealing with classical music. Glenn Gould, the great virtuoso, was uh, Canadian virtuoso, was on Columbia. Or, uh, yeah, not Sony, Columbia. And so I ordered a ton of that. And Glenn Gould was deeply into modern classical music. Uh, 12-tone music, Schoenberg, Webern, Alban Berg, and then on and on from that into this into the cosmos, into the spheres of aton- atonality and dissonance. So anyway, that took me over into an area that most of my earlier fans really hate you know so okay so so there's too much there's too much juice here bruce you're coming in you're coming in hot with the goodies okay you're hot with the goodies which is named my autobiography oddly enough but what we want to do is is we we have a brag sheet that we start dadva with so people yeah whatever i mean i'm I'm sorry for digressing i just no 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 no. we are we live for digressions Uh, uh this is this is but we have to we have to read the glory that is bruce hornsby because this is truly <laughs> this is truly insane this this brag sheet so i just just enjoy uh it bask in the splendor of your achievements as i read these so oh the re- release you're gonna read 20- me my own resume sort of yes yes it's sort of oh, it's right. yeah it's just sort of a it's a humility but also a pride thing um so so release 23 albums won tw- won three grammys uh, lost, one, three, lost, ask- lost ten though. You got I'm a ten. <laughs> Isn't it funny? I'm a ten, the mind I'm a ten-time loser. So that, when I do gigs, I actually uh, sort of a pri- private gigs, and I have someone introducing me. I always tell them, okay, introduce me as ten-time Grammy loser, Bruce. <laughs> 
<laughs> because you know I don't take it seriously. I think it's all I, I think it's that. all kind of right. a load to be perfectly honest. And so yeah, I, yeah. that's how I'm asked. I, that's how I asked to be introduced. That is amazing. I mean, but that's but great. you know, won three ASCAP Pop Music Awards for most performed songs, which is amazing. Played over a hundred shows as a member of the Grateful Dead. That's something. The way it is reached great. number one. Huge. Yeah. yeah. Wrote Jacob's Ladder, which to me is still one of my favorite Huey Lewis songs. By the way, I, that was yeah. like a really fun fact for me in my childhood. And I felt so in the know when I found out that you'd written that song because I loved Huey's version of it. And it reminds me of Pizza Hut in Mississippi. But that's a whole other digression. My brother, John Co-wrote, Hornsby. Give John Hornsby attribution. Yeah, a shout out to John. John yeah, yeah, shout out to John. That's right. Um, co-wrote and played on Don Henley's End of the Innocence. Appeared on albums. This is amazing, by the way. Bob Dylan, Robbie Robertson, Crosby, Stills & Nash, Stevie Nicks. Amazing. Recorded a bluegrass album with Ricky, Ricky Skaggs. Two. Formed Two. The, Two. That's right. Two now. The second right. one is the nastiest of the, the live record. It's That's no the joke. Nastiest. It'll give you a speeding yeah. ticket if you listen to it when you're driving. Because <laughs> it's fast and fast. I've, I've never heard that described uh, musically. Okay. Uh, formed the Bruce Hornsby Trio with Jack DeJanet and Chris McBride. I mean, this is, and I'm halfway through this, wrote music for the Broadway musical SCKB. I don't know how to say it. Well, it's, it's SCKBSTD, which is Sick Bastard on a license plate. There you go. But, but there you go. It really you should go. it really should be mentioned with the terms ill fated, the ill fated musical, because it only had oh, one it, oh. production and then we couldn't get arrested and it's such a long, <laughs> sad story. But I'm really proud of the songs we wrote. But yeah, sick bastard is how you'd say that. I'm, I'm loving yeah. John, isn't it fun to sort of have the commentary during the brag sheet? I know. It's a really nice no, end to no, the game. No um, one does the commentary yeah, yeah. in the brag sheet. They're they're all too prideful. It's really casting such a bad light on all of our previous guests because now i'm realizing they just bask in the glory um and you're just so humble and and uh you know well, I just, so, uh, I, we, yeah. I, I, i'm correct when you say the broadway musical that's such an overstatement we we had some interest there but but no we never sniffed at the great white way <laughs> <laughs> which sounds like cocaine. Um, he's composed a ton of music for various Spike Lee projects, including Clockers, Bamboozled, The Sweet Blood of Jesus, Old Boy, Chirag, and Kobe Doing Work, Endowed. Yeah, Chirac. Uh, yeah, Chirac. Chirac, that's yeah. right. That's it's right. like Chicago and, and Iraq together. Oh, 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 Chirac. Okay, that makes Chirac. sense. Uh, endowed the Bruce Hornsby Creative American Music Program at the Frost School of Music at U of Miami. Father of twin sons, which we're going to talk about, born in 92, Russell and Keith. Yeah, Dadville. Found Dadville, okay. So Dadville, here we're here. I'm, I'm, Named after Leon, Russell, and Keith. Yes, is that right? that's right. So cool. Um, and this really rounds out this insane brag sheet with a, with a fun fact, which is I hope is true. I'm hoping this is true. Uh, he stated, and this is in quotes, that he beat Al- Alan Iverson <laughs> one-on-one after helping him get out of jail. And that, to me, that feels like a perfect kind of end to this brag sheet. Can you confirm or deny these allegations? Well, I confirm it, but I don't talk about it because it sounds it sounds ridiculous. It sounds like it's, it's something that's totally not believable. It's, it's unbelievable. It's just not believable. Yeah, yeah. And so... I, and I don't care. I, it's not something that I give a crud about bragging about. Uh, so, so, but it is true. It, 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 <laughs> that, it, it is true. It, having said that, it is. It, it, there, there were lots of witnesses. Okay, I can, <laughs> can steer you in their direction. You can hear it from them because I'm not okay. going to brag at all. Yeah, about yeah. Because yeah, I yeah. love the of guy. Course. That's our he's, job. 
That's yeah, our okay. job, Bruce. We brag oh, yeah. on you. So, so when you hear that, we love asking this to our guests. When you sort of hear these things you've been able to accomplish and been a part well, of and well, the success one, you've one had. One second. Yeah. Is that the end of the resume? That is, that's where we are. That's where oh, we're wow, because you're leaving us something so important, please, uh, which, is, which is the most recent collaborative uh, situation, which is for several years I started – I was getting these Google alerts by this guy – about this guy Justin Vernon and his band Bon Iver. Yes. And uh, – Yes. Then all of a sudden – so I'm going to investigate this. Well, I don't know, I don't know about, about them <laughs> and him. So I listened to the music and went, oh, my God, this is really deep. It's incredibly beautiful. I just love it. And then he reached out to me to be a part of a Grateful Dead tribute wanted to do Black Muddy River with me because he looked like my version from our live record here mm -hmm. come the Noisemakers. And so that started this uh, relationship that just kept growing and, and evolving and ended up, he worked on my Absolute Zero record. We wrote mm -hmm. a song, he did a duet with me on it. Mm -hmm. And then we wrote a song for the last Bon Iver record. And then for, through him, Justin Vernon opened this door for me and I walked through that door into this room only to find that there were so many more people in that room who felt about me the way he did. And yeah. so it's just never stopped in the last five years. I get chills thinking about it yeah. because it's just been so beautiful the last several mm -hmm. years to work with people in the indie world, as it's called. I mm -hmm. get uh, James Mercer of the Shins. Yeah. Now it's Rick on this yeah. upcoming record. Blake and Mills. Dan and Daniel Hines. Blake and Mills, so yeah. It's just continued. So that's... That should be in the resume. Well, listen, we, there, there hey, are endless, we are getting there. Rooms Let me tell you something. That that is one of the that is one of the questions that we are going to get to. We've got yeah. really a prestigious interview here, and just buckle up for how amazing your mind is going to be blown because we were actually going to get there. <laughs> but before I do that, I have to say yeah, this. Yeah, you. I'm sorry, I interrupted, but I felt that was no, no, that was good. We're going to get there. That complete that is, the picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did round out the whole thing and, and bring us up to date. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Yeah. So, so two things, you know. Um, so John and I are both professional artists, singer songwriters, et cetera, et cetera. I love music. It is my favorite thing in the world. I listen to it constantly. I'm still inspired by it. I love to play it. So when I say these things, I want to qualify. I just want it to be known. Like I am a music. I'm a freak. I love music. Right. And, but having you on, this is a huge moment for me because I love your music. It is a huge part of my life. I still listen to it. I love it. So I want to qualify that by saying this. I have to tell you two things because I told myself, if I ever get to meet Bruce Hornsby, I'm going to tell him two things. One, Mandolin Rain is top 10 songs of all time for me. I've covered it numerous times. It is a gem of a song. It is a incredible Thanks. song. Incredible song. Love this song. Two, I think, in my opinion, the so your piano solo on I, on I Can't Make You Love Me is the best piano solo of all time. I <laughs> love that solo so much you have such a gift so th i just this is me before we dive into this thing just saying i am very thankful for you and i love you and your music it is a gift to the world well thank you so much uh yeah those are proud moments for me uh i can't make you love me it's probably i guess i've played on lots of records through the years uh, for amazing artists but that's the one i'd probably say i'm most proud of and not that that not that it's becomes so, not because it's been become such an iconic record but most but because i'm just proud to have i don't know been a part of that part of that with bonnie it just mm -hmm. felt it was so natural she brought me into ocean way which is three of us in the room piano Jeez. bass and drums tony bronigal and uh hutch hutchinson jim hutchinson oh, yeah. and oh yeah and i played 
the track with him on a sort of a Fender Rhodes sounding oh, electronic wow. electric keyboard. Yeah, it's sort of the you know how it starts. The piano comes in. It mm-hmm. start the song starts with just boom, 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 boom on yeah. a on a key on a electric piano sort of. Yeah, thing. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I come in on piano a little bit later. So so I overdubbed that. She sang live. It was incredibly simple and beautiful, and it's one of those sort of magical moments you didn't realize yeah. you couldn't had no idea what it would become in in the pop in pop culture you know in the in the zeitgeist well i mean like one of my favorite musical moments ever is that did it when you do the that whole that this it's just like to me <laughs> that little musical moment in that song which body is my favorite i've been able to play shows with her I, she's a friend i love her but okay that great. to me is the great combination of her power to me at its absolute apex you're a part of it mm-hmm. obviously like i said hutch and the guys are on that track but yeah. it's just such a it's one of those um combinations of so many things i love at one place you know it's like the venn diagram yeah. middle of things <laughs> so yes I love that. it was just a combination that just works it worked you know she's my big sister in music that's yes. what i would call body yeah. we're very close yeah. talk all the time we have similar irreverent senses of humor oh yes and, oh, yes. and so uh she can talk <laughs> as much as anybody i know and, and so that's great uh, that's yes. that's kindred spirit yes for, for me uh so yeah it's it just one of those one of those uh, transcendent moments and you just never know you just try and try and beat your head against the wall and yeah. then something happens so naturally and that's that's beautiful Amazing. so i'm just proud to be a part of that so bruce w- before we um get into the actual interview which we haven't even started yet i told dave <laughs> you're jiving your <laughs> this is just... okay, okay. we haven't even got going here so we haven't even got hey, to question one but dave and i both we were like look we we each have to have our moment before where we get to say our piece to bruce hornsby <laughs> so here, here's my moment right so i started playing piano i've been playing for 30 plus years i started when i was like four years old and I, when I was a senior in high school, right, I had gone through my love and hate of music and I was coming back around to music again. And I was going to get back into music. I was starting to play piano again. And my dad got me this double album, Here Come the Noisemakers. Ah, yeah. And, and it coincided with, a, uh, with a, the purchase of a 1989 Nissan pulsar which i can't recommend anyone driving but i do recommend someone buying it or or renting it just to listen to this album because it sounds great through those speakers but i have to say i started and i was i knew of you i knew of your hits but that record to me that beginning part where you opened up and you were like i'm just gonna play a little bit while the band sets up that to me right there I have to say, man, I have to say like that record, the fact that it came to me at the time that it came to me, whereas even though I had been playing piano for, you know, 13, 14 years at that point, I feel like that's the beginning of when I started writing songs. And it and it informed me that there are people Bruce Hornsby being one of them, you know, Harry Connick Jr., Art Tatum, like all these guys where it's like, oh, these guys are playing piano. 
where it, it, it said to me, like, look, uh, songwriting aside, the songwriting greatness aside, that as a player, which to me, it, I, I always think of myself as a piano player first and foremost, there you have been one of those guys that's like you have you made me feel in that nissan pulsar like <laughs> oh you haven't even been playing piano this whole time like this is real playing and i have your your career all the music that you've put out into the world i have so enjoyed as a songwriter as a listener all as a singer but as a player some of the stuff that you, I can I can see the stuff the evolution of things yes, and I can right. see how you're taking the, these these iconic hooks and you're burying them in <laughs> different voices and voicings and different chords and all that kind of stuff and I'm like I, I have just I have so been along for the ride. Thanks. As, as you it. have said, yeah. has sometimes alienated some of your early fans oh, i'm course. right there with you man i am i am all about it so thank well, you for all the music you, that you've you, put out there. you guys are my target audience because look I, i'm i'm restless and i don't want to repeat myself i don't want to stay in the same place i'm just i'm just sort of intellectually curious about yeah not just music uh and lots of uh, the for, for people always ask me why are why are you writing these songs about all these crazy things? I said, well, I've been doing it a long time and this, this page is pretty filled in. And since right. I'm not, since, uh, do I want to write, uh, I don't know, another, uh, uh, another love song? Well, only if I can find a very interesting way into it because I feel like I've done that sort of thing. Not that I've been really in my life, even in the early days, really writing about baby baby very much right, you know? right. but uh so uh so i thanks i appreciate you being interested but but for someone who's who's interested in the in the play in in virtuosity on the instrument which i've always been into ever since you know i'm a music school geek and uh so i had tough teachers who beat my ass and made me get better mm -hmm. uh that, that, that then you would be someone who would be more ready to receive my uh ad adventurous moves through the years and so thanks that's great yeah it's, no it, thank it's, you thank yeah. you and thank you for doing this <laughs> man dave Jeez, yeah i want to give a shout out and when i give a shout out i always I laugh because it just brings me so much joy you to give a shout, shout out to claritin yes. yes for supporting this episode and providing us with free oh, samples you know it john this time of year my allergies are in fuego they're mm -hmm. always on the attack but i use this and you should too oh i do dave every day in our house yeah. luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies we can live claritin clear with claritin d designed for serious allergy sufferers which is, this is me raising my hand claritin d has two powerful ingredients just one pill to relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better this double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat and sinus congestion and pressure 
with ease. John, I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for a long time, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for a run without my eyes watering. I may be crying, but it's not sure, from allergies. Totally different. And I can sing without feeling like I have a fr- like a big old, let's not even call it a frog. It's a, it's like a toad. It's like a family of toads. It's a family. It's a turtle. Yeah. In my so you ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? Yeah, me. I it's know. time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Hey, Dave. Hey, John. Did you know that 84% of families with kids under 18 don't have a basic will? Oh, wow. That's crazy. That means if something were to happen to you and your spouse, a court would decide who will raise your children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With Epic Will, though, you can protect your family in as little as five minutes for less than the cost of a trip to Target. Epic Will not only covers your children, but it also ensures your health care wishes are known, too. These are all state-specific documents written by attorneys with over 30 years of planning experience. So go to EpicWill.com and get your family protected today. Use the code DAD20 for 20% off. That's EpicWill.com and use the code DAD20 for 20% off. So do you do you feel like, Bruce, this is kind of a great way to talk about your growing up. Is, is that part of you that's so curious, that's so innovative, that's always kind of restless creative-wise? Is that something, for, like... Was that a part of your house growing up? I mean, when you think about your your young years, what was that house like? Was that something that was fostered there? Was that something your parents were like? Is that something you picked up osmotically, or you you know, what was your home like in that way? Not the sort of urge, not the not the interest in adventure and music and pushing the envelope harmonically and in every way lyrically, uh, and not so much that. That just came from just something innate in me uh uh but it also came from the fact that i was a music school nerd and so i was interested in going to the the music library the handelman library university of miami which is where i ended up after berserkly uh after oh my Martin. gosh berserkly <laughs> so so anyway Right. I, I, I was just curious. And there was there were uh, I was around like minded people, mm-hmm. musicians. Mm-hmm. I was a deep, heavy woodshedder. I was deep in the shed in my college years and, and after. And not for a while, I wasn't into that. But in, in my when I turned 40, I got way back into trying to take my playing to a different place. So uh, yeah. So yeah, okay. Was it in my my upbringing? Music was always in my up, in, in in the air. Uh, hmm. They have your mom was a piano player. Is that right? Yeah, my my, my mom's dad, uh, Pierre Paul Saunier. Pierre Paul Saunier is a, when it was Americanized, mm-hmm. anglicized. Uh, he was the the supervisor of music in the in the public schools in Richmond, Virginia, and wow. he also played in the churches. He he was the guy who you who they would hire for at the local mosque theater, the big thirty six hundred seat palace in Richmond, downtown Richmond. He, they'd hire him to be the guy in the corner playing Turkey in the Straw in the Oregon at the state JC's conventions. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's what, so he was a career musician, and so my mom, being being Paul Saunders' daughter, 
she was she was very musical she played but she wasn't serious about it so but music was always in our house and so uh so right they have tapes of me well we had tapes we can't find this tape they have tapes of me singing hound dog and uh, this name from Zorro at age three or four. And <laughs> I wish we could find them because they're quite fun. And what is that tape? Is that like you with a broomstick or is that you on the piano? Oh, no, it's, it's just just uh, acapella. Just here, here's here's the Wallen sack reel to reel recorder. And we can tell <laughs> yeah. it's recording because that little light's lighting up. And it's, it's <laughs> and so, OK, OK, Brucey, go. And oh. you sing the, the 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 mic was built into the the wall. I actually had the old wall in second. I'm I'm in my studio now. It doesn't work. It's just a fun artifact. Yeah. So you would just sing into the machine, mm-hmm. and that's how that's how it worked. And so yeah. music was a language that was kind of understood. Obviously, there was a pedigree for like this can be a profession. This is a oh, I don't thing. yeah I don't think it was. My dad was a conservative old country boy, a beautiful guy, a big Charles Atlas looking guy. I got more of the tall, bony uh, <laughs> build, build of my mom's side of the family. But uh, Big Bob Hornsby, like I said, was a beautiful guy. We had no excuse for sucking as kids. We had fantastic parents. Uh, <laughs> my, mom, my mom was always dragging me. Oh, okay, but it, yeah, my mom was always dragging us to the local you know, Navy choir concert at William and Mary, the college here. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Uh, right across the street, we grew up right across the street from the concert hall. They'd be dragging us to the Mikado, Gilbert and Selby. You know, when we're <laughs> six, you know, we hated it. They hate it all. Right. right. Uh, but, but my, so that was my mom's contribution. And it was a deep contribution. She was mm. into making us cultured young geeks. Uh, my dad, he couldn't have cared less. Wow. And, uh, and he wasn't so interested. When I decided when I decided to catch cast my lot with the Musos after my one year of real college at University of Richmond, I said I I can't do this. I spent I'd spent all my time in the practice rooms as a freshman in college and getting the Berkeley correspondence course, uh, listening, being turned on to Keith Jarrett and Chick Corea and McCoy Tyner, Bill Evans and Bud Powell, Wynton Kelly, and mm-hmm. on and on. That that kept me pretty busy for a few years. Uh, immersing myself into that jazz in the jazz to jazz language being a musician for a living that was not something that was really oh okay perfect. so so what was your dad's relationship with music like well he played a little bit i have a poster i'll show it to you uh this is an old poster from about oh, 1950 uh oh, it's so classic looking oh my dance. gosh that's a, is that is and that his his brother sherwood oh, okay. hornsby and the Rhythm Boys. Oh my God, that is awesome. That's that's the poster, and you see that fill in the dance the admission. You could it was uh-huh. something you could just fill in. Oh my God, that they're playing you know Toppings Court Campground over in Lenexa, Virginia. You know, it's country. It's this yeah. is country stuff here. Uh-huh. So uh, there, uh, so so he was he would play in his older brother Sherwood's bands, played a little tenor sax. Oh wow! Oh nice. But, but 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 he wasn't that. He was wasn't really deeply involved. He wasn't yeah. trying to be Bird. You know, well that's alto. Right. But he was wasn't trying to be. Boy, they never heard of John Coltrane. Yeah, yeah. Who was a great tenor player, Johnny yeah. Hodges. I think. Anyway, he wasn't trying to be a killer. He just did it for fun and and uh, maybe to to do the nineteen fifties ver- or, or night late forties version of doing it to meet girls you know yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so was was music 
music kind of was something in your in your house that was like this is a this is a meaningful hobby but this is not like a occupation no it was just something to love just something to yeah. embrace on just on a entertainment and and just beautiful just beautiful level like listen to how listen to this gorgeous thing or listen to this thing that makes you want to dance yeah. uh, and then and and my parents were great they they didn't they say the beatles when they came out mm. at least my mom mm -hmm. did dad just stayed quiet i'm not sure he was too into it but he was fine he was okay with it. he was practicing but, sex what's that he was practicing yeah well he wasn't practicing no he wasn't <laughs> i remember hearing him practice uh but uh but that's just probably because i don't remember he probably was a little bit to to learn you know t for two for the the gig at toppings court campgrounds you know oh, toppings court <laughs> so uh, oh all right okay so when the beatles came we like most young white children you know we we went crazy over that and we all wanted to play the guitar my mm. older brother especially he was the real musician i was more of a jock as a kid that's why i really loved every sport in its season it's uh, and uh, but i was also interested and so we i played i learned i played guitar first and had a little band with my younger brother playing organ the aforementioned john hornsby mm -hmm. he was he hated it though he said i was just the a, a real as a leader just always every he wherever he hit a clam i'd be looking back at him you know in disgust and i just apologized through the years i continue to apologize <laughs> for that sixth grade and him and his fifth grade uh moment uh we had a band we played some we played at the norwich community center yeah uh, and uh for the bat and we had a battle of bands and but i used big brother bobby hornsby's great equipment so we were louder and sounded better than anybody else so that helped us we had Fender bandmasters and basements and tremolux and amps. Oh, yeah. and that was fantastic. But I wasn't serious about it. I was like Bob Hornsby and Sherwood Hornsby and the Rhythm Boys. Yeah, I yeah. was just a guy having fun playing a band, playing Cherry Cherry uh, by Neil Diamond and Get Off My Cloud. Hey, oh, hey, yeah. Uh -huh, hey, hey, uh -huh. you, you. But that sort of music. We played that. And so, uh, so it was just something to, it was just, a, a, just music was just something to be enjoyed and and, and to maybe be interested in and do it playing a little bit yeah and so that, so then how did you get to when, when did it turn serious how'd you get to berserkly it turned serious when i was going into my junior year of high school i was still kind of a bootleg guitar player at this point i'm interested oh, wow. in playing playing cowgirl in the sand by neil young or down by uh -huh. the river you know yeah, yeah e minor a e minor d you know this sort yeah, of yeah, 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 these yeah. chords you know make <laughs> <Yeah>. cowboy chords <laughs> i love that you're showing us the chords <laughs> and uh, <laughs> well, they're the only ones i know <laughs> my abilities on the guitar have not so wait re real quick I, I have to ask because i've gone through my version of this as well I, yeah. And maybe this is universal for piano players. It, We're always going to be so jealous of guitar players. It, did you, when you're playing the guitar in, during your junior year of high school, is oh, it I, obvious that you're better at the piano and you're just trying to force this guitar thing? Or Well, or no, I, once I started on piano, which was, again, my beginning of my junior year. So my by my junior year, it, through my junior year, I never played the guitar at all. I was deeply involved. I, I was sprung wholeheartedly into my piano uh era which of course will okay. won't end until i'm gone uh, did you yeah. sorry as, was there that? obvious did you notice that sorry to interrupt but just when you started doing that 
did you kind was it kind of like whoa i'm i'm taking this on or did you have friends around you kind of going like bruce like man you're kind of moving here on this thing well it always came pretty naturally to me when i was a guitar player it always it was something that came fairly easily to me i could hear my i had ears what what we call relative pitch oh yeah yeah. I knew the key, perfect pitch. You know, you 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 hear any note, and you know what the note is. I don't have that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I have relative pitch where if you know the key of the song, you can right. you can right. hear yeah. the chord. You can hear the chord. Relative pitch is a blessing. P- perfect pitch, I think, is a curse. It, it's it's a, a little bit of both. It, yeah. It's it's both. I, I I understand why you say that, and I don't disagree, but I don't completely agree with it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just who, who cares? Christian McBride yeah. has perfect pitch, and he never complains about it one bit. Uh, right. Well, I just say that out of jealousy, too. <laughs> oh, okay, so, so, but, so right. There's no time when I was really sort of interested in both. I, I was a half guitar player. I liked doing it. It was kind of fun to play uh, yeah. those songs. Uh, but But then... Uh, when I got into piano, that was a deeper in- level of interest, and the guitar just was was I was done with that. And I got into the piano. I've told the story forever. Uh, it's it's kind of fun, I guess. My brother Bobby, who's who's figures in this a lot, because he was really the music guy. He was really deeply interested, and still is. And we played in I played in his bands, his Grateful Dead cover bands, uh, for instance, when I was first year of college. He. Uh, he, gone, he, he was sent to prep school because he was scuffling in school around here and he wasn't serious. My mom sent him to prep school in New, in New England, in Connecticut. Oh, wow. And he was turned on to all this music that we didn't hear around here. It sounds crazy to n- think that that Joe Cocker and Mad Dogs and Englishman with the great Leon Russell piano oh. playing and Chris Stanton, great uh, Chris Stanton piano playing, that was sort of underground because all we heard was Top 40 and the Soul Station. And uh, that was great. But he that made us fairly provincial compared to people in Greenwich, Connecticut, who were listening to Mountain and uh, Hendrix, well, not, mm. and, but, and Joe Cocker, yeah, and, and Leon Russell. That was really underground. And oddly enough, uh, okay, my brother played me. We're riding down to Yorktown, Virginia, to visit our cousins. We're on the Colonial Parkway, and he has an eight-track tape machine in his GTO, and he, he oh my gosh, he puts in a tape. The big eight-track tape of the record. I got it's got chills thinking about this of the record, a tumbleweed connection by Elton John. Now I I I heard I knew your song because it had been a hit, but I I thought it was beautiful. But it was something I just embraced. But this thing was different. Hmm. It was it was Elton and Bernie's version of the band. It was their their version Mm -hmm. of writing what became known as Americana music, music about small town America the rural scene, uh, just like the band. And so the, the song was Amarina. I was gone. And then it goes to these really interesting and fairly complex chords. And I was just smitten. I just, this was totally engrossed and moved by this and that was it that moment plus mm. he had gone to see uh the, the legendary capitol theater in port chester new york is, is this a stone's throw from greenwich connecticut where he was in school and they would go and hear these concerts they'd hear mountain you know mississippi queen you know they'd, they'd hear all that and they heard they went to one 
I don't know, there probably weren't more than 50 Joe Cocker, Mad Dogs, and Englishman gigs ever. They did that one tour mm -hmm. and that was it with the band of, <laughs> band of 40 people on stage, whatever it was. And, but he saw one of those and he taped it surreptitiously. <laughs> Clandestine recording, had a cassette oh in, his, my gosh. In, in his pants or something, I don't know. And he gave me the tape. And I'd wake up every morning and hear this tape and it just crushed me. And I, so I wanted to do this. As you can, you can sense from my <laughs> my countenance here as I'm describing it, that it was a seminal moment for me. And yeah. so I was, that, 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 that threw me headlong into that forever. Never stopped. So how did I get to Berkeley? Again, I went to uh, one year of college. After, so two years later, I didn't think I was really good enough, although I was practicing all the time, playing all the time. Mm -hmm. I think I was really good enough to say to my very suspicious dad, hey, I want to go to music school. <laughs> so I suspicious. waited another year and at that, uh, and then at that point said, well, I don't care what they say. I have to do this because I'm too involved in it. And, and that's how in, I, in general, how was he? Uh, how was his response? Did it well, take his him a while was, to get a, Well, his response was, "Well, okay, I don't trust this. You were really deeply in the basketball until you weren't." And uh, uh, I said, "Well, yeah, I, I stopped being interested because I got so interested to this other thing." And uh, but I'm still still interested. But okay, I, I understand why you say that. I get why you don't trust this. He said, "Yeah, so I, I don't really. So I don't trust this." He said, "So if you want to do this, you pay for it." And so, okay, I, I, at that point, had developed a bit of a marketable skill. I could play cocktail piano and play, you know, the entertainer from the Scott Joplin from the, you know, popular yeah. piano things. And, and uh, so I did that. I did every bar mitzvah gig I could find and disco band in, in later years in Miami and uh, country club. Uh, background music playing old standards. It was a good, it was a good training ground for me. And yeah. so, so that was it. I made my way. So that was, that was, that's how I got to Berkeley in that sense on my own. Dave. Okay. Yeah. I just went with a, yeah. just a Dave. <laughs> Listen, what's yeah. something you want to make a point to do every day, John? Like every day. Uh, let's see. Okay. I try not to overdose on crinkles. Ooh, that's a big one. Yeah. Yep. But specifically, I, you know, I look for ways to eat healthy and boost my immune system. Yeah. You know, that's my thing. Listen, I got something for you, John. Okay. Today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens. I knew it. Yes. I knew you were going to say it. Listen, I started taking Athletic Greens because I didn't have time to mess around with that pile of vitamins. I'm not yep. messing around with that junk, okay? Nope. And although Athletic Greens taste great, mm -hmm. I don't think they offer a crinkle flavor mix. I'm sorry about You know, that. I don't want them to. Okay. I like the lane that they're in. Okay. You know, summer's coming up. Or it's already here. Yeah. Know, it's all, yeah. We're in that weird zone right now. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, things get busy in the summer with yep. vacations yep. and kids. And look, Athletic Greens is a lifestyle-friendly product. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, they're there for you. So, John, if you had to guess, how much do you think it is? Uh, <laughs> I would Look, I would pay $1,000 a month for this. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. 
way overshot it. Three dollars a day, John. What? Yes. And guess what you're doing? You're investing in your health. Yep. And it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Okay. We're not going to talk about that here. But now I, you're I speaking to my caffeine account. soul. Yep. Look, AG1 is a small micro habit with a big benefit. Yep. It's one thing that you can do every single day to take care of yourself. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. Mm-hmm. Hard pass for me, okay? Hard yep. pass. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. So good. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year uh, supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs right. with your first purchase. You can go anywhere with those travel packs. Anywhere. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash dadville. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash dadville to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And so then you go from Berkeley to Miami, which University of Miami, which yeah. the scene there at the time you were there was insane, right? It I mean, was amazing. Yes. Cause it is was. that when Jacko and Pat Metheny, are they there at that time? No, I, I came right as they were. Well, okay, Pat was in, in Boston during my time at Berkeley. I okay. saw uh, Pat had moved from my, he'd been at Miami. Uh, he'd been, I think he'd been in Miami. His first year was also my first year at University of Richmond. He had oh, okay. been at Miami okay. and just okay. one year and they made him a teacher right away. I mean, he was talking yeah. about sprung from Zeus. I mean, this guy was 18 <laughs> years old and, and he had just, uh, he, he was practicing 12 hours a day. <laughs> so uh, he was so talk about deeply and deeply committed. And, uh, he was sitting right here in this room playing on Harbor lights, oh. sitting right in this chair. You know, I could just shove him, you know, and I, he played some, <laughs> He went on some incredible flight of fancy, and it was just amazing. And I went, I said, I got to ask you. Now that first off, that was freaky good. That was amazingly great. And but I got to ask you, at your deepest level of commitment, how how uh, many hours a day did you practice? And he said, uh, well, from age about maybe twelve or thirteen till maybe seventeen, eighteen, and onward. But a good solid several years there in his youth in his teenage years he said i practiced 12 hours a day good and he said i had i felt i had to do that to deal with coltrane that was his his Uh, that was his explanation and so of course i i was i thought myself as a heavy shitter i was a five hour a day guy for years and uh I went through one small period of time where i practiced eight hours a day before between berkeley and miami uh so yeah, so I thought I was deeply involved until I met this this freak, and, you know, this beautiful freak, and yeah. so yeah, so that's that's that that's 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 how I got to Berkeley, and and I that must know. have it's your time in Miami. I mean, is that with that scene being what it was? Are you just soaking that up like a sponge? I oh yes, yes, yeah, soaking that up, and also other things that weren't being taught at the school. I was still keeping wow. interested, staying interested in the pop music world. Wow. I got really into Joni Mitchell during those years. Oh yeah. And that was fun for me because I was so involved again in the jazz language. And she started playing with uh, Wayne Shorter and Jocko, Mm. et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the Mingus record that was after my college years. But so I really loved the, uh, the records Hashira and Mm. Don Juan's reckless daughter in particular, Particularly the uh, the orchestra orchestral piece 
it uh, took up a whole side of a record, of one of those records, so it's a double album, Don Wise Records Daughter, called Paprika Plains. Mm-hmm. And that just floors me to this day. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Maybe sometime I'm actually going to bring that out and play that. I don't uh, do many covers on my shows anymore, but that's something I yeah. thought something completely obscure, you know, that, that no one yeah. knows. Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you go from Miami and you're in like, you know, you're, you're obviously shedding a bunch, you're playing a bunch, you're very committed to this uh, craft of playing the piano, the skill. Yeah, of just love it. Piano. Yeah. Just love can't it. get enough. How, yeah. how do you, what makes you, because one of the most interesting parts of your early trajectory to me is going from that scene, which obviously is very heavily jazz influenced, but as you said, you've kind of got a toe in pop and then you move to LA, which is, you know, obviously has a jazz scene, but really is going to be the, you know, the, the bed of pop music for at least America. What, what is, what's the impetus there? Like what, what was that move? Well, that was purely brought on by being discovered by the great Michael McDonald. We were playing. Okay. So, uh, that, that's how that happened. So, uh, Okay, I was in Miami, and I was, uh, I was, uh, yeah, just really into the, the the music of the day, the jazz music of the day, the music that was being played in, in the schools, uh, in the school. I knew that I would, I, I recognized that I would buy an Ornette Coleman record or Bill Evans record and a Joni Mitchell record or maybe James James Taylor record, and I always find myself listening to those singer songwriter records more. I realized, hmm, you know, I really like this music, and it's really fun to try to get my fingers uh, to, to try to try to develop the skill skill set. Yeah, yeah. But I love this the, the I love song uh, singers and songs more. Yeah, so yeah. I knew that after Miami, I was going to go back to Virginia and start a band. So I did that with a couple of, with my brother, my older brother Bobby Hornsby, his wife Anne, and uh, two guys that I brought from Miami. John wow. Mola, Phil McCusker, John mm-hmm. Mola, who played with me, you know, for 20 oh, yeah. Yeah. years. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, uh, so we had that great band and I started writing songs. I really didn't write, really get serious about songwriting until after college. I oh, spent wow. my time just sort of grokking the whole pianistic thing. And wow. so, so I started writing songs. We started putting them into, we were just playing the lounge circuit, playing brick house and shake your booty and just playing <laughs> for the buck and, Playing the, the the mere skeleton of the song and then funk playing a jazz funk jam for the next ten minutes yeah. and everyone hated everybody hated us but we 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 grab but we we gradually were using songs you know, putting uh, uh, infiltrating the set with songs of mine and we developed okay. it's a it's a tough trick we developed an audience that came to the lounge the steak and ale in Hampton Virginia oh, uh-huh. but they didn't want us to play. Uh, so I'd like to know when when you got the notion, rock the boat, don't rock the boat. They didn't want yeah, to hear yeah. us do that. They didn't want wow. to hear they wanted to hear my song. So that's oh, wow. how, so that's a trick. That's hard to do. Because most and people want the, the songs that you were writing then, your very first songs would be kind of pop songs or what what how would yeah, you they, describe they, them? They were sort of pop songs with a bit of a uh, maybe a bit of a dead influence, but also a bit of a Pat uh-huh. Metheny or Keith Jarrett oh, wow. uh, influence, Joni Mitchell influence. And yeah. so anyway, I'll make it short. Mike, McD- we, we liked Mike McDonald's do- music. We being sort of jazzers, we liked Steely Dan and Asia and mm-hmm. Royal Scam. And, uh, and, and so, but we also liked Mike McDonald's music of the, in, in his Doobie Brothers uh, uh, era. So, 
we were fans and the Doobie Brothers were playing Hampton Coliseum. We were playing the local steak and ale in Hampton, right down the street. And we knew because the same people, the same booking company, Whisper Concerts, who booked our bootleg lounge gigs, they also booked the big Coliseum gigs. So through them, we found out quietly that the Doobies were staying at Hampton uh, Coliseum, Sheraton Coliseum. So we went to find him, Molo and I, two big, big guys. And Molo's a big, strong guy. I'm just, as I said, kind of bony guy but uh anyway uh we went and found him in the lobby and we went up to him and said hey mike we're the baddest in this town and you should we're playing right over here you should come here you, you are know, kidding just, me yeah that's that's and he he's looking up at us and saying well i'm going to the movies now but i will if i can i'll try to and so sure enough he did come and we'd saved all wow. all of our originals for that so he comes in with some of his they had a night off they probably played, say, Raleigh the night before, came on up, had the night off, and the next night playing Hampton. And so we'd saved all my songs and just wore it out. And he came up and was just, oh, he was just really sort of blown by it. Wow. And uh, so long story short, he he tried to help us. Molo and I went and stayed, slept on the, his floor in his house for 11 nights in Studio no. City, California, the Valley. No. Uh, and... He turned us on. He was still doing sessions as a singer then. Such a long way to go. Oh my gosh! You come know, on. come on. <laughs> all the Christopher Cross, yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, all that he was in that mode before he got tired of it. I had my same version of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Ten, sure. ten years later. Yeah. Anyway, he tried to help us. We ended up showcasing for a bunch of record companies and publishers. Jeff Baxter wanted to produce us. Mike had turned us on to Baxter. He was leaving the band. Oh yeah. And, and so uh, Skunk Baxter yeah. He was yeah. getting his producer game started. And so we didn't get much interest in, in as artists because frankly, the music was stylistically derivative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It sounded like these other things. Mm -hmm. I was still, mm -hmm. I just started writing songs a couple of years before that. So I'm just trying to figure it out. Again, a, a late starter, slow learner. And so, uh, so, but I got a lot of interest from publishers, or enough interest. To, to Chrysalis and 20th Century Fox offered me staff songwriting, a staff songwriting deal. Oh, wow. And, and does so this I all signed, come from those 11 days meetings? Or no, did you move no, 11 there? days, it, it, that was in February of 79. And we had a demo tape. It wasn't that great. It wasn't very good. But he gave it, turned on different people, turned, it, turned people on to it. When he would go do sessions, he would be working for producers. Oh, gotcha. Uh, Fred Mollen, Mike Post, etc., yeah. uh, and, and 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 on and on. So that, but he also turned turned us on to uh, Skunk, to yeah. Jeff Baxter, mm -hmm. and that and Jeff got us out there for a month. We showcased. We slept on friends' floors, old musicians' friends' couches, and and we did our gigs. And so I got the songwriting deal, and, it, it, and the next year, about a year after that. I moved to LA in 1980. Okay. And so I got there because hell, I had a, I was had an, a, an offer to, I had a job there. Yeah. Paid. They signed me then because they thought I was going to get a record deal. They didn't sign me because they thought I was going to be a great writer for others. Uh, I'd signed with David Foster, the great producer, wow. the wanted yeah. producer, uh, one of his first and maybe only one of his only signees for this early, new production company. We made a take made a demo and he, and he gave it to some of his friends and David Geffen asked me to come to his house. No way. 
Yeah, and so I, I just moved there. My 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 girlfriend at the time has been my wife for the last forty years or so. Mm. Uh, she, well, I was driving her out. No cell phones. We're we're in yeah. the middle of Route Forty in Albuquerque, in New Mexico, et cetera. You know, needles. You know, and, and Barstow, cruising to L.A. I get there, and the phone rings. Ten minutes after we got there, my publisher at Fox, Ronnie Vance. Where you been? I've been trying to get a hold of you. Because again, no cell phones. I said, well, look, yeah. we've been we've just been on the road for four or five days to come. It's a 53-hour drive from Williamsburg, Virginia. VA yeah. to uh, LA. He said, Well, we're you're supposed to, we're we're going over, we're going to David Geffen's house tomorrow. He wants to meet you. <laughs> so so we did that. That was pretty mind-blowing because I was a big fan of all the people. We, we, we've already named a few of them that he was working with. And uh so we go to his house. He was rent. He was renting Cher's house. Wow! I mean, Be- in Beverly Hills, Bel Air. As one does. And uh, so uh, he asked me to play him a song, and I played him a song, and it was the acoustic in the room. Acoustics in the room maybe sound better than I sounded usually. And uh, he said to me, "Brucey, I want you to make records for me." No. <laughs> he is just starting. David Get. He was just starting. Get what became Geffen Records. They didn't mm-hmm. have a name mm-hmm. for it mm-hmm. yet. But then he went off to sign. He'd signed Donna Summer. That was his first signing then. And then, he, but he went off to sign Elton and John Lennon, and he Jeez. was successful in, in wow. both situations. Now, of course, Lennon was assassinated just a few months later in December of 1980. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. And so, uh, but he'd made the double fantasy record that came out uh, posthumously, I think. So, uh, um, anyway, or maybe, uh, so, yeah. So that's, that's what was going on. And he passed me on while he was out trying to sound these these titans of the of titans of the industry uh he left my situation with the two new a and r people john collodner legendary is the guy in the aerosmith wedding dude looks like a lady dressed up oh in the, my uh, gosh dressed up in the wedding dress that's collodner he's a fantastic he's <laughs> quite quite a great person and carol childs uh was, was a legendary figure in the scene on the scene in that era and so carolyn collodner Oh, they put me through the ringer and 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 then brought me in in about October of that year and said, you know what, you're the kind of artist that we want here at Geffen. We know there's something in there, but you're not ready yet. And they were hmm. absolutely right. Wow. It was absolutely true. Uh, and so so then I was back to being just the staff songwriter. At were you Fox. playing we're, on records then at all? Were you doing studio work? As no, no, I, no okay. I was playing on publishing demos. Okay, okay. For different so, people who knew about me, but and that paid a little bit. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. They used to pay us by the overdub. No those were the, way. Those were the thickest publishing demos you ever heard. You know, if oh, I, <laughs> you got paid by the overdub. Yeah. So I'm sitting there going, I hear a flute part. You know, I got a flute sample on this synth. So <laughs> ring the Let's try it out. Try it out. How about how about if I double the bass for the synth bass? I mean, that is amazing. Just, just that is amazing walls to walls uh, <laughs> it's not something i'm proud of, but it's just it is funny oh my gosh are you are are you writing new songs demoing them sending them in writing new and and the, they're just passing on song after song after song well, no, my, no my my company of uh, fox they loved what i was doing and they thought i was going to get a deal with those songs and that's how that worked uh, it was not uh-huh. like they were shopping it for for i don't know for uh, uh 
what was the world woman's name? Lauren Wood. Uh-huh. <laughs> a local pop singer. Now, she, they weren't shopping it for Kim Carnes to do. Right, right, right. right. The, these right. are your songs. These are my yeah. songs, and they did it a little bit. They got the, the, the aforementioned Mike Post. He he produced my, the first song I got on a record was by the guy who sang the hit, The Greatest American Hero. Believe it or not, I'm, I'm walking on air. Uh, so his name is Joey Scarberry, and he recorded a song of mine on that record. So uh-huh. that was exciting for me, but it, it, yeah, it was, look, I was just trying to swing in the big leagues there. And mostly though, it was great for me because I heard a lot of amazing musicians there. Uh, and I wasn't feeling that as much in the Tidewater, Virginia era. There were some fast, fantastic guys there, but there were a whole lot more per capita out there for obvious reasons. This right. is sort of the, one of the two or three meccas for someone who has, aspirations to have a, a life in music and so uh so that was great for me i would go to clubs and hear people and go whoa you know i've i got <laughs> i need to step up the game here and so that's yeah. that was great for but me. boy do you step up the game I mean, this was crazy so you get signed in 85 is that right yeah so right mike mcdonald's discovered me on december 1 of 88 78 and then Six and a half years later, I finally cracked the door. Well, here is what's crazy. You don't crack the door. You you, you basically blow it apart because you put out your record the way it is in 86 yep. of the next year. And it's I mean, pure I, luck. Well, <laughs> maybe. I, I would love to have that look. But I mean, yeah. that record is, I mean, Every Little Kiss, Mandolin Rain, The Way It Is. You have, which not to mention the, yeah. on the Western Skyline, tons of um, Red Plains killer songs on this record. But it yeah, is Red a Plains, smash Red Plains success. I mean, how how were you? Was that something that you were like, yeah, it's about time, or were you like, wow, this is really connecting? No, it was unexpected. Uh, we were just trying to be a modern version of the band. Uh, we, with, I was playing mm-hmm. accordion, and uh, David Mansfield, the great Mansfield, was playing uh, fiddle, mandolin, and uh, I was playing hammer dulcimer on Red Plains, and uh-huh. uh, uh, so we were doing that. We were, we were that was our our goal. And we were doing just fine around uh, around the states uh, with AOR radio. And yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we were, but but all of a sudden, in 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 uh, in the UK in London, the BMG rep has a friend at BBC Radio One, a guy named Mickey Mick Vilkoich, and uh, and he comes to him and says, "Mickey, me boy." We got this record. We don't know what to do with it. It's kind of country. It's kind of jazz, jazzy. I don't know. We don't know what to do with it. Just give it a listen and see if there's anything on there that means something that resonates with you. So he took it home over the weekend, listened to the record, picked this one song, put it on the radio, bang. So it was a pure, a total, a wonderful no, accident. Wow. Is it Wade the way it is? is? The way it is broke in, in the UK. And then in Holland, then throughout the rest of Europe, then throughout the rest of the world, and then and in then the, the States. States. Gosh, yes. that's, so, that's it, so interesting. Dave. Yes. Nope. Sorry, John. Gosh. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. 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 Hey, don't you hate it when you have to wait on a paycheck, especially when life is so stressful? I'm so. We talk glad. about this all the time. But listen. Uh, yeah. look. 
the fact that you said it out loud is yeah. a little freeing to me, honestly. Mm-hmm. Today's sponsor, Chime, helps you exactly with that situation. Now you can get your paycheck up to two days early with direct deposit. That's up to two more days to save, pay bills, and generally just feel good about your money situation. But Chime is more than just about getting paid early, mm-hmm. okay? It's also an award-winning mobile app, checking account, debit card, and optional savings account. So here's my question. What are you waiting for? Hopefully not your paycheck. Get started with Chime today. Apply for a free account. It takes less than two minutes. Get started at Chime.com slash dadville. That's Chime.com slash dadville. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Early access to direct deposit funds depends on payer. So I feel like that song, I could say so much about that Amen. song. Amen. <laughs> I mean, I, I truly believe that song will be just one of those songs that, like, there there's like a layer of just great songs, right? And then there's another layer of great songs that just will always be around, you know? They will stand yeah. the test of time. You may be right. I, I wouldn't argue that because it, it has continued mostly. Well, so I far, think, I'm right. You yeah, know. so far, you're, so far you're, I think you are right. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that record. I'm definitely not a fan of that singer of that record. But uh, wow. but I've, I'll, I'm proud of the song. I, yeah. I felt that I had finally found in that record my own voice. Yeah, it's something that sounded like uh, just uh, the, just the whole production, as goofy and boneheaded as the production is, just me playing along with a Lynn, along with a Lynn drum machine, synth right. bass, basically a one man show, with either David Mansfield or George Marinelli playing some. Gosh, guitar fills or uh, a little textural addition. Uh, so, but uh, I really feel that what has aided the sort of ubiquitous nature of the song is what's happened. What's helped it is, of course, all the hip hop rap versions. Yeah, right. There, there have been Thank twenty plus. Twenty plus, of course, most known and most beloved is this changes by Tupac. But even recently, the great Polo G, the young Chicago rapper. Oh, wow. He, he made a beautiful record. A song is called Wishing for a Hero. If you don't know it, it's, check it out. It's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Wishing for a Hero. Uh, and you may also like, uh, on YouTube, last year during the shutdown era, Bonnaroo uh, did their, a virtual festival called, uh, I don't know, Virtual Bonnaroo. And, uh, he, and they asked Polo G, and me to do a duet no. and so i did that and it's on youtube it's great fun it may be one of the only hip-hop songs with no beat i'm the oh, pulp no is, way it's purely just projected by the it's just piano polo g rapping and his two background singers singing beautifully in the background and so yeah, yeah check it out it, it's 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 great fun and, well i'm always fascinated with artists and bands relationship with their biggest hit you know and i think that song that song is so great on its own but it's also great because it it is very representative of you i think as a as an artist yeah i'm curious you know that that song came out in 86 six yeah so let's say let's imagine that that song is a person Right, that you you now have this long decades long relationship with. Hmm. How would you describe that relationship? Well, it's mostly a, a love relationship. 
almost uh-huh. entirely. But of course, like anything that this that is that ubiquitous in the zeitgeist in the culture, uh, you, I, I, you become you know you could call me Bruce Bruce the way it is Hornsby, you know, right. or, or for the mass of America, of the world, and because uh, outside of America, I'm a, I'm a purely a one hit wonder guy. I, I've never had. Uh, Madeline Rain or Valley Road or mm. even End of the End of the Innocence was a little bit of a hit in different places, but it's mostly the way mm. it is, and mm-hmm. that's fantastic. It 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 it, uh, it catapulted my career, mm. and, and and not least of which, in the case, sense of musicians, so many great musicians were fans of what I was doing, mm. and they started reaching yeah. out for me, and so I, that's, that started the great collaborative. Uh, yeah. uh, career and so uh but yes yeah, so it, it's because so but as as my career has gone on okay i i've got i i've made my second record scenes from the south side mm-hmm. and my aim for mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. my goal there was to cement the sound that i'd created on the uh sort of unwittingly there were demos that the band couldn't beat that we couldn't beat with the guys so it just wow. it's, it's, mm. it's remained the drum machine demo yeah for the records so i decided to do that one more time and do that with look out any window and mm-hmm. uh valley road mm-hmm. of course etc and uh a show goes on a road not taken it's just mm-hmm. again lynn lynn drum and a Ju- lynn drum and a juno and a piano okay so right away on that second record which to me was so stylistically similar to the first I started getting nasty letters from fans. Oh my God, how dare you change? You know, how dare you do? And, and so I'm thinking to myself, because I'm already starting to write a little bit for my next, for the next range record, the third, mm-hmm. uh, where the floodgates opened with our special guests on that one. Uh, I'm, my thought was, well, sorry, man, you haven't seen anything yet. Wow. <laughs> if, yeah. if you if you hate this, just wait. You're really gonna low the next move something i'm curious about bruce in that in that era which you're exactly speaking to because you've obviously got this huge gift for um uh pop hooks so it's this is this to me is one of the the most fascinating things about you as an artist and me being an artist watching you but seeing your artistry is that you have this ability to write. I, I read a quote years ago. It may have been in Songwriters on Songwriting that book, but where you said how much you love bringing prodigious, the prodi- uh, prodigious music to pop, right? So you've got this really fascinating thing where you've got a gift, not just for your ability to play, not just for your ability to perform, but to write like pop songs, not not like really cool songs that maybe work in the pop sphere, but you're having hits. So as you're writing these records, I'm curious, especially in those first two, three records with the range, do you have an eye on that? Or are you kind of like, Hey, I'm just going to disappear for a few months. Here's all the songs got. Are you kind of going, man, I do want to kind of have songs that translate or is that just natural? Is that something that as you wrote in that season, you're like, man, these are great. Cause they just happen to be memorable. Well, I was interested in, in a couple of things. I was interested in more than just writing a good song. I, but I was always, you used the word prodigious, prodigious. I think the word I was, would have been using was I wanted to bring some, a bit of virtuosity. There we go. There we go. On yes. the, on the yes. instrument uh, to this thing. because it's, mm-hmm. And so sure enough, I was totally lucky because that fluky hit the way it is 
had not one but two improvised piano solos on it. Which, and then which I got I gotta just with- say, Bruce, I have tried to write that song. I mean, for 15 years, I've been trying replicate, to write that song. Try to yes. replicate that. I, I just can't. The Don't fact do that. that. Do your own thing. Write your own. It's, uh, we, did, we, did, somebody, we did that. That's been done. I, so. See, you're, you're the producer telling me, stop doing that Bruce Hornsby thing. You can't do I'm it. That, yeah, I'm that guy. Well, I'm Bruce Hornsby is it, telling but, you not to do the Bruce Hornsby thing. Well, no, I'm just saying it's, it's not... It shouldn't be your goal to replicate. Your goal should be to innovate. To, yeah. To well, find and your, it's, that's your, your me own just voice. saying one more time that, I mean, those piano solos in that song are so great. They're so great. But Sorry I'm, to cut you off. Keep yeah. up. Well, okay. But so, so then the next record, I'm trying to push it. I'm trying to see what I can get away with. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I was able to get away with it one more time. And on a much deeper sort of musical level than Wade is the so, not one again, but two solos on Valley Road, which was a big record uh, from Scenes from the South Side. I'm playing McCoy Tyner, a chordal harmony, har- chords and fourths. It's totally the McCoy thing over this sort of Steve Miller rock groove. Mm-hmm. And that was my that was my goal to mm. do something to write a just write a good solid song, a story song about. Uh, that a girl gets pregnant and gets sent away to the school for unwed mothers that existed mm. existed in my youth. Wow. No longer, I don't think. And, and but okay, I'm but I'm gonna blow on this in the middle and at the end, and I'm gonna play this very angular and intense to me. It's still an acoustic instrument, so it's not as, as intense to most people as plugging in a guitar and turning it on a ten and, and yeah. going and yeah. that you know uh-huh. that's that beats me right away, but this is my version of that uh, on a conceptual level. So, so I got away with it again. And so my music school friends, they couldn't believe what I was getting away with on the top 40 radio. And so that, that was, that, that, that was a great sort of musician's victory for me to be able to do that. So that's what I meant when I said, I'm trying to bring a little virtuosity, just a different flavor because I felt that was what I could do that not so many of my singer-songwriter pals could do. They would, and of course, the mass, the mass, uh, the pop audience, for the most part, they just want to, they have very simple goal, aims. They want to hear a really good song sung well, period. Yeah. And that's enough. And that's hard enough to do that. But I felt I had this other, this other trick I could play and I wanted to play and it. kind of it's sort of with an eye on hooks with an eye. Well, on I like, still wanted to write a good yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. so I'm still interested in connecting. I'm not interested in being completely obtuse and obscure. And, and, and that that's that that came later. <laughs> that, that came when the music got for me a, a little more interesting when it got a little more involved. But look, I understand the love of, of the early record, the, the more simple thing. I get it. And I still write simple songs. I really do. Uh, but, uh, and, but I, I, one thing I don't do very much anymore is, is solo on the records. Cause again, I, I feel like I've done that. I huh. feel like, Oh, Oh, there he is again. So it's tired after a while. Yeah. You know? Right. So, so, so what is that thing in, you know, Bruce, I, I admire this. And, and just so you hear me say it as an artist, you know, I'm 43 now I've been doing this about 20 years, but it is one of the things that I so admire about you because I think it's so hard to find artists who've been playing music for as long as you've played it professionally and kind of in the pop space. 
Yeah. Um, that's still creating so much. I mean, you are, your output is insane. And I, I, I admire that because yeah. it's especially I'm, now, I'm, especially, especially now. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's for me, I get so inspired because I think being 20 years in, I'm, you know, I'm years behind you, but still, you know, you start looking to your left and right and there's less people there. You sort of go like, man, my friends aren't, they're doing other things there, which is totally fine. But I, you know, I've been in this huge McCartney thing right now, but that's something I love so much about Paul too. I think you two are, are very much leading the, the, the race for sort of like still making really compelling, inspired music. Um, so I want to just tell you how much I admire that but what what is that in you like what what is that even now that with all this music you put out you know what is that fire well I'll just speak to the current <laughs> current uh feckend period you know where yes, I'm really yes. sort of in, in a in a fertile creative space because we, we'll talk about it but Flicted is coming out which this record is yeah, like yeah. who's who of the cool music scene yeah and no you problem. which is insane well, I would say this, this, I, I, and I call afflicted the, the third, the last in a trilogy of records wow. begun with absolute zero, continuing with non-secure connection. And then this last, this new one. And, uh, so I, I guess I would say to try to be succinct about it, I would say that it's the confluence of two situations and two amazing artists, in disparate fields, uh, and my my work with them, or okay, so uh, uh, that coming together to inspire me greatly, and, mm -hmm. and uh, in, in a deep way, inspire me to 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 come forth with all this music. Okay, so the first one is Spike Lee, who I've worked with wow. for twenty for twenty nine years, uh, I, and uh, not for the last year. He's given, he hasn't called me lately, which is kind of nice because I was so involved. Uh, and I won't give you the full history. It's not necessary. In, in 08, my relationship with Spike ramped up to a new level when he asked me to score for him, score films. He asked me to score a, an ESPN documentary he was making on Kobe Bryant called Kobe Doing Work. So I did that. And it was, I guess that was sort of my audition. It was great. Pat Metheny and my friend Chip DiMatteo, who I've played songs with for many years now. We all went to see Randy Newman at Carnegie Hall. Oh, gosh. In, in 2008. Did and he know y'all were in the crowd? Yeah, I saw him afterwards. Yeah, he's. A, I just lo love him completely. Uh, he wrote me a beautiful letter on Absolute Zero, which I cherish. He'd written me letters before on solo concerts. It's just, he's a Jeez. great supporter and a, mm -hmm. a transcendent talent, of course. Genius, yeah. Hilar hilarious. Yeah, genius. Yeah. I agree. Uh we went to see Randy, and then we walked a few blocks over to Spike's Spike's house, where we all sat around it. And he he had the the, uh, uh, the the numbers running across the bottom of the screen, and he said, "Okay, I want I want the, uh, music here." As we're watching the film, and he he's giving me the, the blow by blow here, music here, music here, music here. So I did that score for him in '08 for for, for 2009. I guess I passed the audition and he kept hiring me for the next 10, 11, 12 years. And uh, so I, over, in that time, I wrote 240 pieces of music. Good. Wow. Yeah. You, 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 you know, so kind of like 40 per movie and uh, per uh -huh. film or, or Netflix series. She's got to have it. I did both series, yeah. both seasons for the, of that. So, wow. 
uh, uh, film cues ranging from 50 seconds to five minutes. Hmm. And so I had amassed all this information. And through these years of doing this, I'd always, there were always certain pieces, certain film cues that just, that I loved. Again, just gave me chills to listen Hmm. to them. And uh, so I started getting, I, I told my engineer in about 2000, 17 middle midway through 17 hey uh these 14 cues put them in a in a file so i can record on them so i started writing songs to the cues i'd never done that it was a completely different way of writing wow so i started writing these songs but in the meantime i'd started working with justin vernon mm. uh, and so there's so so okay so i wrote these songs the first song i i, I dealt with i uh, it was a cue called a minor a minor song as simple as that you know it was an a minor and so i uh i turned the music on and it was a spacey jack Deach Jeanette's playing playing uh drums and it's a string orchestra playing and so it's that's it's it's a very trippy thing again got the, it it i kept giving myself chills while writing this song called mm-hmm. absolute zero which was based on uh, a book called Zero K by the great novelist Don DeLillo. I've, mm. told, I've been influenced as a lyric writer by DeLillo, David Foster Wallace, mm. uh, on mm. and on. Uh, modern literary fiction, it's mm. called. And so so I wrote this song and I, whoa, this is something different. I, it feels different. And I just, I love, I love how it's making me feel. And so I kept going, kept going. And I sent this music. Uh, that so this was say late August early September of seventeen uh, around Christmas time. I sent this to Justin. Said, "Hey, this is what I'm working on. What do you think?" He sent me back this glowing report with some critiques on a production level. Hey, you might want to try this. Hmm. This feels a little funny to me. And his music, his records are so great on a production yeah. level. And I, so I, yeah. I'm going to listen to I'm going to listen to you, Justin. Mm. Okay, I'll. I'll <laughs> I'll try. I'll try to affect what you've requested here. So, uh, then he invited me out to Eau Claire to work on some music. So, wow. and he said, so I brought a bunch of cues, a bunch of Bruce Spike cues, cues I'd written for Spike, and we worked on several of those. And one of those became the song "Cast Off" on the same record, which was a duet that that we did. Yeah. Another one was uh, okay. So. I wanted to write a fanfare and uh, sort of because it felt something Spike had given me felt like it's wanted to be something sort of grand. Hearing this, so I wrote this, 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 this cue. And since it was a fanfare and I'm well aware of the Copeland piece fanfare for the common man. So I, you know, I'm pretty irreverent about this. So I wrote, my my cue was titled "Fanfare for the Common Hoe." Oh my gosh! <laughs> just just fooling around. So Justin, we're out there. And he we listen to that. What's this one called? <laughs> Fanfare for the Common Hoe. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. He took note. He made we made some notes about things he liked. And the next day, he asked Chris Messina, his amazing engineer. He said, "Hey, uh, put up that fanfare thing again." It's been running around through in my head. So Chris did. And Justin goes in. And, you know, Justin Vernon has a kind of voice. The, the, the air in the room changes if you're in the mm. same room with him. It's so fantastic. so great. Just transcendent to me. 
And so that was quite a moment uh, when he started singing that. And that became the song Man Like You on his next record that wow. came out a few months after. So, so this whole thing about writing songs to my Spike Lee cube uh, film music uh, just seemed to just seemed to connect and resonate with with everyone around me not the record companies about three or four labels passed on that because they they're still expect they're still living in 1980s and they so they have a, a, a stupid ancient notion of who I am as is crazy and they go whoa this this throws me but then this one group who I signed with they had the same reaction at first, but this woman, Lee Danae, went, uh, yeah, well, but give me some time, she'd call her my manager. And this, this really threw me, but uh, I wanted to live with it. And so she lived with it. And about five days later, called back and said, please. <laughs> and so uh, oh, that's great. So that's how that has worked. Man. Yeah. You know, I sang your name. Because, Why did you sing that? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, it's a beautiful name. It's very singable. Yeah. It's very singable. I've always said Also, that. I have a question about yeah. singing. What's your go-to Industry. karaoke song? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Industry. Industry. Wow. I'm going I'm Oh, did you say favorite song? No, uh, favorite karaoke song. That's my bad. Okay, there favorite karaoke song yeah. is either going to be Born to Run by The Boss. Mm-hmm. Um, real close tie or close second, maybe a tie one week by The Very Naked Ladies. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both, those are both great songs, and they both have a ton of words, and that's where pair eyewear comes in. Oh. You see, Dave, when you're rocking those tunes, yeah. you got to be able to see the I screen. I have to be able to see it. Listen, yeah. you are so right. And can I tell you what's helping me with that? Please do. My Otis pair, my Otis pair of pair eyewear. They just, I lock right in, and I'm yeah. just, when I'm locked in, John, I, I just bring a place down. I've seen you lock in. Yes. Yeah, I sing, it's a beautiful sight. I see and sing. That's what I do, John. <laughs> That's what Listen, base frames start at just $60. That's crazy, including prescription lenses. These people are crazy. Yeah, there are hundreds of top frames and designs that you can match whichever one you want. I got the the Reese Oof. Tortoise. Yep. Oh, they look so good. I envy you. If from I can say that, the they look great. I'm and I got you. the gold reflective sun top that I just pop they on pop, there. They just magnetically pop on. Yep. I thought it was Tom Cruise mowing your yard the yep. other day. Yep. Was it? Well, Part of that is because I had my jeans on and no, no shirt sure. and a volleyball under my say, arm. <laughs> volleyball up in the air, too. Listen, get started by choosing your base frame with options from the square to the cat eye. Plus, every frame comes in six different colorways. You heard me. Not two, not three, but six, including classic black to the remixed blue tortoise. Here's another thing, Dave. Yep. For every pair purchased, Pair provides glasses and vision care for children around the world. So cool. How amazing is that? Get glasses as unique as you are. One pair, infinite style. Starting at just $60, go to PairEyewear.com slash DadBill for 15% off your first purchase. That's 15% off at PairEyewear.com slash DadBill. This is DadBill. D- yes, gotcha. And, and you I'm are a dad. A, you are a dad. Yeah, and a granddad. Yeah. You'll yeah. have to prove it to us, though. You got to tell us about your kids. Yeah. You have a couple yeah. sons. Yes. Okay. So I'll tell you. It's a, yes. a lot to tell, really. Yeah. Uh, so I have twin sons. My wife oh, and twins. wife Kathy. Okay. My, my my first wife of thirty eight years, uh, Kathy Hornsby, in on January thirtieth, nineteen ninety two, gave birth to twin boys, Keith and Russell. Keith Jarrett mm-hmm. and Leon Russell. <laughs> oh, nice! I remember and, uh, reading yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Keith uh, Keith Hornsby is one minute older than Russell, 
had it been a natural birth, uh, it would have been their names would have been reversed <laughs> because whoever came out first was going to you know alphabetical order <laughs> it was going to be Keith. Okay, so uh, yes, these boys grew up uh, being very adept in the athletic world, and uh, Keith was mm. Keith was uh, quite the at, he he showed his true colors at age of about three or four or five where he could he could make he made thirty five <laughs> straight course. bank shots from eight feet out on a ten foot rack when he was five, you know, just cr- oh my crazy abilities, muscle mm. memory, and it was, both boys were really fast. Uh-huh. We don't know where they got all this, <laughs> not, not necessarily in the family genes. Uh, but, uh, and Russell, I saw, I, so Jeez. so I said, hmm, this is something I think I can help young Keith with, this basketball thing, because I played. Oh, and you're a really good player, knew, right? Knew the game. I was a good high school player, yeah. solid. Uh, and uh, but then, and so so here he was going, he went down that path, and he's still playing. He's, yeah. he's he he played at LSU. He played. He was uh, he he went to the Mavericks training camp and uh, played five preseason games. Had one one great preseason game, but that's not going to make the ball club for you. And he went right. the next three years. He played in the D League uh-huh. for the Mavericks team, the Texas Legends. And the last three years, he's been in Europe, where he's wow. just really flourished and shined right. and continued to move up every year. He started in Poland, then moved up to Germany, and then moved up to France this year. He's in, he plays, plays in Paris now. So that's Keith's story. And then went yeah. back to where Keith was making the, the 35 shots in a row, et cetera. Uh, his, his, his brother Russell, Russell Ives Hornsby, I named him after wow. the great, the great Maverick, American Maverick composer Charles Ives of Danbury, Connecticut. Wow. Uh, anyway, uh, Russell proved himself to be uh, rather fast around the elementary school playground. And uh-huh. I said, Russell, Russell, wow, I see you out there just jetting, man. And uh, now Keith was fast, too, but he, it, but he was into the hoops that. thing. And uh, Russell, so I said, uh, I saw this Hershey track meet. What uh, was happening in our local paper Ooh. at the lo- local high school, and I said, "Hey Russell, would you? I see you're really fast around the playground. Would you like to maybe go try running in this race? These races?" He said, "Sure, okay, I'll try." And he just went out there in his big basketball clod hoppers. All the other kids who had sort of track dads, they had the the slick little Nike track shoes, the real right. light, the little light <laughs> ones, and Russell's out there in his big, big Jordans, you know, big clunkers, you know. <laughs> And he just ripped it, and he and so he went from there, all the way to when he was in his senior year of high school. He was at one point second in the nation in the 800 meters uh, timing in track no and field way. news, and uh, he ended up quitting early. And he he slipped to 18th. A bunch of people in the next month who kept training wow. right. uh, passed him. But he ended up running for the uh, the the uh, iconic program, the Oregon Ducks. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, so he, I was a duck dad and a tiger dad because Keith ended up at LSU. Jeez. So, yeah, so a couple of high major children here, yeah. and so so we. I call our a lot of our our uh, sort of parenting uh, experience. I Jeez call them Louise. the chauffeur years because totally. we were. We were in the chauffeur years driving their little <laughs> around to the AAU basketball. That's cutting into your practice time, Bruce. Oh, but it was beautiful. We had a great time. The boys really liked it. 
it was hard. You know, as you get older, it gets more Darwinian. You know. Yeah, right. uh, it, it gets serious, you know. And I'm so impressed, Bruce, as you as you talk about that. I mean, you being one of the sort of the preeminent piano players of our generation. I mean, you are someone that everybody knows and respects, and you obviously have such a passion for music and what you do. I always have so much respect for uh, parents that I talk to that have such a gift like you do, and then when mm-hmm. their kids show a different type of gifting, really lean into that. And I know. Some people would go, of course, and some would go, it's interesting you didn't push them toward music, but that you so early saw them go, man, this is an affinity and something they have a gifting for, and I'm going to follow that. That's so cool. That's such a, it's such a cool thing to hear. Well, yeah, I just wanted to help them. Simple as that. I I, I was lucky. uh, The studio that we're in right now, our studio next to our house uh, here in Williamsburg, Virginia, has allowed me to not be the absentee dad. Yeah. Because had I not had this... I'd have been gone touring, and I'd have been yeah. gone recording. Yeah, and that's it's pretty pretty much the, the the routine here: write, record, tour; write, record, tour. It's the never-ending cycle, if, unless you choose to get <laughs> off that that uh, treadmill. Uh, right. but, but I'd really never done that, obviously. So, uh, so yeah, it it was just fun. I just we just enjoyed it. Uh, it was really exciting, and they made a lot of great friends. Mm. Uh, Here's Keith Hornsby texting me right now about something. <laughs> they just finished their regular season in Paris last night. Oh, they kind of got they kind of got drilled. They're a really good team, but anyway, so he who knows what he's got. I'll I'll blow him off. And did so, you did you find that building did you build that studio with that in mind? Was there a sort of a parental paternal decision in that and going I want to have something on property I can be around my boys and my wife. Was that actually don't I actually don't remember wow. exact uh, exactly why I think I probably would have built it. Yeah, I, I the reason I'm not sure about it is is that uh Kathy got pregnant with the boys in the spring of 91. Yeah. And had the had the, the boys again January 30th 92. And we had planned before this, we'd had a hard time having children. Mm. So I don't think it was about that. Gotcha. Just, I think it was just about I wanted to have a studio. Yeah. So yeah. I, if I had an idea, I could just go out at 3 in the morning and walk over here and put it and record. Boom. Uh-huh. And so that I think that was it. But, but of course, it worked out uh, perfectly once we had, had the, the boys. Yeah. To, uh, so I could be oh, home yeah. so yeah. much. And so, so that they grew up not really knowing... When all these mm-hmm. these sort of titans of music would come to the house to <laughs> yeah. work on music with me, and, and they, they, you know that didn't mean much to them yeah. now, but as they look back, they go, "Oh my God, that's yeah. crazy." We have a great picture of Garcia holding Jeez. one of the boys, and, and, and which is just glad because again, Jerry's got the most beatific, gleeful smile oh, on his face, so the big big grin. It's just a beautiful picture. So yeah, so right, that was our. We were consumed uh-huh. with uh, with youth sports. <laughs> yes. It's kind of a cliche yeah. cliche yeah. now, but uh, that was our yeah. our that was, that was our experience thing, yeah. uh, with with the baller and a little bit with with the runner. But uh, they had a great time being often the only white mm-hmm. guys in yeah. their on their yeah. team, or on, yep. and, and so that that was a great <laughs> yeah. broadening experience yeah. for yeah. them. And so, and and we loved it too. I played in uh-huh. the Peninsula District here, a really hard, tough ghetto league mm. back when yeah, I played. Yeah. 
I was the only white guy on the wow. team then. So, That's so cool. Keith Ormsby was reprising repri- yeah. my uh, <laughs> previous my role. Yes. Uh, but but it was funny because we went down to Peninsula Hampton right. Uber News, the you know uh, Iverson Vic oh, territory. Yes. And uh, uh-huh. and I then I went back to all these high schools where I played, uh, yeah. and I went, oh, okay, yeah. well now. I, I, I connected the geographical dots, yeah. you know, because because when you're back there doing it, you're just riding yeah, the bus, cool. talk with right, your friends. Right, right, right. You're not, you you don't have any clue. Oh, here we show. Oh, here oh, we're we're at Hampton High School. Oh, now we're at Kickatan High School. We're uh, and but now that was so it was fun for me to retrace my steps, because now he was playing. And same with Russell the runner. We'd be running at Darling Stadium in Hampton. And so now I now I knew how to get yeah, there. Yeah, that's right. It was so, r- so really fun. Thank you again for your time. So we always ask two questions uh, before mm. we uh, okay. before we end. Here, I'll ask first, and then John will ask second. What is the one thing that you want your boys to know? I want them to know. I want them to know. I want them to not take life too seriously. <laughs> but 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 now they know that because. We grew up, sure, I mean, I've just been talking about the sports business, but the rest of it, for me, has been pure frivolity. Mm. I mean, we, uh, when the boys were eight, <laughs> we're driving around Colonial Williamsburg, and I'm talking gibberish to tourists, you know, <laughs> just, want, just winding them up. I mean, yeah. we're, we're phone, I'm phone pranking their friends, you know, I'm conference calling Russ, Russell's track oh dads, invi- inviting them to come speak to the Newport News Rotary yeah. Club and shit, you know. So, so what I want them to know, I want them to know that life should not yes, be taken too seriously. Great. It's time to f- yes. around and have a laugh yes. and have a I laugh. Love that. So, so you got to take the serious <clears throat> with the funny, and that that, that balance that's is beautiful. important. So that, I guess that's that's, that's that. Beautiful. Okay, so we're at our last question. I just got to say one more time. It's yes. such an honor to chat with you these couple of times. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Okay. I, I've listened to you my whole life. You're such an inspiration to me as a as a piano player, as an artist. It's been amazing. So thank you. I appreciate it, you guys. Thanks. Last question. Many many years from now, uh, you have passed on. What do you want your boys to say at your funeral? That he was a funny mother. <laughs> <laughs> and we had our fun. Oh that, my gosh! That that would be good enough for me. Seriously, I know it sounds mm-hmm. like it's a line, but I've never been asked this question, so it's not a line. It's just it's the mm-hmm. first thing that pops into my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just hope they will say, "Man, we sure had a good time with that guy," mm-hmm. and he showed and yep. he showed us a lot, and showed us what work ethic work looks like, mm-hmm. what heart, what what dealing with something on a, on a deep level looks like, and so they grew up being willing to do do the work and enjoying the act of improving enjoying wow. the act of mm. seeing yourself getting faster getting m- more efficient more you know, yeah. more more true more, more better uh better in every way so yeah. uh so th- so there there you go those th- those that's great. i th- those things the, again the, the 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 fun and the serious both mm, together yeah. Yeah. you know when you're when you're doing your gig man mean it go mm. after it and uh, w- with intensity and, and uh intent but mm. otherwise man let's have a laugh yeah i love that that's great i love that 
Thank you so much, Bruce. Bruce, you're a, a legend. A million times, thank you. <laughs> All right, guys, best. we'll do it again. Do it yes. again next year. All right. Yes, yes, yes. Congrats on the new album, too. Yeah, man. Thanks, guys. Love okay, it. Okay, appreciate it. Thank you. See you, Bruce. <laughs>